Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. If you missed anything this morning, Dane Cialino, Peter Scharf talked about re-entry programs. Matt Dennis, a bail agent, electronic monitor provider. Hondo Carpenter talked about uh, Derek Carr. He covers Derek Carr, covered him for Sports Illustrated's Las Vegas Raiders Maven. Download the Odyssey app and you can go to uh, my name, Tommy Tucker. Uh, that WWL.com, click on audio, then Tommy Tucker, or you can just rewind by downloading the Odyssey app and listening to any of the things you've heard here so far. In case you missed any of it, we're going to have an interesting conversation now for an hour with Dr. Randall Stafford, professor of medicine at Stanford, about the opioid crisis. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Good morning, Tommy. I'm doing well. Thank you. How's everything in Northern California? Has it been as strange as Southern California or not? It's been quite strange here, too snow and rain and uh, maybe a little bit of relief from our drought. Yeah, unfortunately, that's going to lead to some more problems. But if it's not this, it'd be something else, huh? Let's talk about let's talk about the opioid crisis, doctor. Is this one of the biggest public health issues in the country? It continues to be, and uh, it has been for several years, but things uh, are not getting any better. And uh, we are still looking for solutions. I think that I'm particularly intrigued by some new efforts on the part of the federal government to get a hold on this, but um, it's uh, pretty dire. How dire? Well, we're at the point where deaths from opioid overdose keep increasing. And, uh, of course, that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the kind of the social disorder and problems created by opioids. But uh, we continue to have increasing opioid deaths, and uh, much of it fueled by fentanyl and other combinations of drugs that are uh, currently being sold as heroin. When it comes to um, legitimate prescriptions for pain medication, have those gone down substantially since, I don't know, the DEA got actively involved or, say, five, ten years ago? Yeah, it actually goes back perhaps as long as 13 or 12 years ago, where we really saw a turnaround in terms of prescription of opioid painkillers. That's been a a continuous slow decline, maybe with a little bit of acceleration recently. Uh, But doctors clearly are less um, confident about using opioids they are figuring out alternatives to opioids, and we see we have seen a, a large decline in the prescription of opioids. However, 
I think that that prescription opioid epidemic that peaked in around 2011, um, it really is now bearing fruit of other problems that it created. Um, We have a large number of people who are, in essence, addicted to opioids with opioid use disorder, and they're uh, not able to get the prescription opioids and are seeking other alternatives uh, on the black market. Let's um, talk, if we can, about um, legitimate use of opioids and physicians, because I know some doctors... And I think what may have fueled some of this back in the day is, and and maybe even now, because you said a recent increase. Is that what you said, doctor? Let me go back to that for a second. In prescriptions? So the the prescriptions have continued to decline. And uh, over the last five years, perhaps a little more briskly declining than they had earlier. So we uh, we really see a, a pattern where doctors are just more reluctant to use these medications Sometimes a little bit over reluctant, I have to say. And, uh, you know, there are people with legitimate reasons for opioids who may not always be getting them, but this is a far cry from the other extreme where many people are getting opioids without necessarily having the best indications for their use. So, on one side, we have declining prescriptions for opioids, but on the other side, we have deaths going way up, correct? That's correct. Is that an unintended consequence of the declining prescriptions? Or, and, and I guess I'll just say it like a layman would, Doc, for no, for no other purpose. But instead of the real pills being out there, now they got fake pills that people are abusing, which means, you know, it's like playing Russian roulette, where if you get the wrong pill with fentanyl, you're dead. Yeah, I think it, it really is as dire as that. And, um, the legacy of, of prescribing opioids, I think, is still with us. And, of course, that relationship and that cause and effect is a little bit um, – it, it, it's not so direct. I mean, there are many ways in which this has become a problem. Um, and, of course, the increased manufacture of fentanyl in Mexico has also been a a major factor in this trend. But what we have now is that people are seeking either a heroin for injection or buying counterfeit pills. And as you say, fentanyl is often a major component of what they're buying. And the dosage of fentanyl can vary enormously between different preparations of what's being called heroin and drastically differ for different counterfeit tablets. Those counterfeit tablets may be for maybe counterfeiting a, a fairly typical medium dose opioid, but can in some cases contain lethal doses of fentanyl. Fentanyl is a very potent opioid, even small amounts have the effect of larger amounts of typical opioids, you know, like hydrocodone or Vicodin or um, oxycodone, um, another, uh, uh, the generic name for Percocet. So I'm trying to figure here, and I'm trying to think in a linear manner, doctor. So if initially this started because doctors were over-prescribing the opioids and patients were getting addicted 
Then they couldn't get what they needed, so they started buying them on the streets from people who had gotten the pills that were legitimate, I guess, from others that had been prescribed the pills, pill mills, what it's, uh, whatever, and then sold the pills on the street. Or there are people that got addicted to opioids because they stole parents' or relatives' medicine and then from there started buying bills, pills on the street that were legitimate, that have now been replaced with counterfeit pills, then I'm wondering where is the new addiction coming from if doctors have been reluctant to write as many prescriptions and fewer people are getting them, then who is it that's being exposed to opioids and getting addicted? Yeah, I think you have the story pretty much correct there. And, you know, we've had this trend, essentially these phases of individuals getting prescriptions for opioids at first using them only for themselves, then that moving to using those tablets, selling those tablets, giving those tablets away to others who didn't necessarily have a legitimate use for them. And now we're moving in the direction of more counterfeit tablets. So your question is, who is it that's getting addicted? Well, I think what we have is many of the same people are still out there using opioids, but we also have new people who are, um, finding opioid counterfeit tablets very appealing in some sense because they are relatively inexpensive and uh, they produce the high that opioids provide. You would have to be out of your flipping mind to buy a street pill today, would you not? I think there's a huge amount of risk involved there. And, uh, you know, yet people who are suffering from opioid use disorder, what we used to call opioid addiction, you know, they in some sense have no choice because the side effects, the the effects of withdrawal from opioids are extreme and uh, will cause people to go through to, um, you know, to very extreme lengths to have those, those symptoms of withdrawal stop. Let me take a break. We'll pick it up here. We come back, doctor, and maybe we can look at a case study, if you will, or generally speaking, what it's like for somebody that is addicted to opioids and how bad can it be that, and I think you would have to be cloistered not to realize the risks associated with buying a street pill these days, that it could be counterfeit, it could be fentanyl, it could kill you instantly. Uh, I think, you know, they've adopted the phrase, one pill will kill, or like I said a long time ago, Russian roulette you got to be pretty desperate to take that risk, but apparently these people are. We're talking to Dr. Randall Stafford, our friend, professor of medicine at Stanford, about opioid addiction. Over a quarter of Americans think the opioid crisis is the biggest public health threat facing the country. And what's the government doing to combat it, and what should the government be doing? What can they do? 504-260-1870. If you have any questions or comments, I'm Tommy Tucker, back in a flash on WWL. 924, Dr. Randall Stafford is our guest professor of medicine at Stanford, our friend. We've been speaking to him for quite some time now about the opioid crisis. A quarter of Americans think that that is the biggest public health threat facing the country. Doctor, i, I got to ask you again, is it the biggest public health threat? Is that perception over reality? I think it truly is a huge problem. And, you know, we often talk about deaths from automobile accidents or deaths from gun violence. Uh, but uh, opioid o- overdose deaths top both of those areas. 
So when it comes to the the typical person that has, you just said, is there did anything change besides the description of opioid use disorder or opioid addiction, or was it just a, a nomenclature change? You know, I think that the change from calling it addiction to calling it a use disorder has meant that people don't need to feel so ashamed of, of that process. I mean, it is a almost inevitable consequence of long-term opioid use that people will have these symptoms that occur when they withdraw from the drug. Um, I'm very supportive of using the terminology of use disorder because it, it is less labeling, it's uh, less derogatory, and really, uh, I think, clues us in that this is a medical problem and not necessarily a, a moral uh, failing on the part of those people who get into trouble. Um, you know, in, in general, it is mostly a, a terminology change. All right, so let, let's... One- I'm sorry. Go ahead, doctor. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please finish. Oh, sorry. I just just saying that uh, I, I'm supportive of that change. Although I will say that it causes a bit of confusion from the public of uh, of wondering exactly what we mean when we call something an opioid use disorder or an alcohol use disorder. You know, it is re- referring to the the problems that people have with addiction and with uh, becoming. Uh, dependent on a particular substance. So let's talk about, um, somebody said, I seem to think addicts make rational decisions, and I think that's a great point, because I was saying earlier, if you could walk us through, doctor, somebody that has opioid use disorder, they're addicted to opioids, however you want to say it, what would lead somebody to then go purchase a, a pill or a bag of pills on the street? They don't know what this is. You'd have to be uh, cloistered, as I said earlier, not to realize that one pill can kill you if you get the wrong thing. But uh, how bad can it get? What is somebody going through physically and mentally as it relates to opioid addiction uh, if they try to get off of this stuff or they suddenly can't have access to it? Yeah, I think it's really important to realize how serious the issue of opioid withdrawal is. Because we don't know, doctor, let's face it, the people that have never been through it, we can opine, but we don't know. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, it's often even termed a life-threatening condition to be going through opioid withdrawal. You know, essentially anybody who uses opioids long-term is going to develop a physical dependence. And physical dependence means that if you suddenly stop taking that particular chemical, that the body reacts. And for opioids, the discontinuation, stopping opioids, causes a, a major withdrawal symptom that includes not being able to sleep, having diarrhea, having nausea and vomiting that are very severe, um, having uh, problems with just your sinuses dripping, and, uh, you know, essentially not being able to function uh, due to those withdrawal symptoms. And sometimes those withdrawal symptoms are really so severe that people will do anything to try to get them to stop. So that leads them to um, they can't they go. I don't, I don't think uh, any doctor in his rational mind right now would operate a pill mill, would they? Do they still exist? Um, I think there's been a lot of crackdown on how 
drugs make it out of the legitimate market into the black market. Um, I have no doubt that some of that still goes on, but I think the fact that counterfeit pills are so widely distributed, uh, that's the that's the main source of of opioids for many people at this time. I, I know physicians, as I said, and I, and I know the DEA is all up in their business, so... Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You'd have to be playing um, just in some kind of desperate straits with your medical license if that's what you you choose to do because they are going to catch you. I mean, that's an accurate statement, Doc, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of scrutiny on practices of clinicians. Uh, you know, my colleagues and I don't necessarily think that we need to be scrutinized quite that much. I agree. But it's the reality of a situation that, you know, was created by past prescribing. And then you get the government or uh, law enforcement between you and your doctor, which is not necessarily a good thing or a good place to be. What about um, somebody texted in Suboxone, or if that's the way you pronounce it? I know some people say you're just substituting one addiction with the other. Uh, Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that what's very important is to realize that most opioids, regardless of which one, whether it's morphine, or Percocet, or Vicodin, or heroin, they act in a very similar way. And those drugs largely differ by how much of a particular drug it takes to get a certain level of pain relief or of of euphoria from the user. Now, there is one exception to that, and that's a drug called buprenorphine which is its generic name. Suboxone is one of the brand names for this drug. This is a particularly atypical type of opioid. It has this effect that it only binds to receptors for opioids in the brain um, in a way that doesn't cause the same degree of euphoria as other types of opioids. And in fact, the atypical thing about buprenorphine or suboxone is that it binds very tightly to these receptors and prevents other opioids from creating the sort of high that usually would occur with those drugs. So buprenorphine is an important part of the solution to opioid um, use disorder. It really allows people to uh, take this medication and not go through withdrawal symptoms, to be able to function, and to have some protection against their craving to get high from other opioids. And, um, you know, there is a lot of interest in buprenorphine as a potential problem solver here. I would say that, yes, there is a certain extent to which this is one opioid substituting for others, but it really is a different kind of opioid. And I think that people function much better on this drug than they do on 
other opioids where they're going through a constant cycle of getting high go and then over time going into withdrawal getting high again suboxone allows a, a relatively steady state of opioids in the system that doesn't um, promote people getting high and has this protection against withdrawal symptoms. So I, I really believe in buprenorphine as one of the solutions here. And, uh, you know, in fact, the federal government has made buprenorphine prescribing much easier for the average doctor. Um, I've had numerous knee surgeries uh, up until uh, two knee replacements, and now that's over with, thank goodness. But when I first got the pain medicine, that was my first experience with it, my thought was, you know what? Why not put this in the water? The world would be a much better place. And I say that facetiously, but the reason you can't do that and the reason opioids are so dangerous is? So the development of opioid dependence, this opioid use disorder, occurs relatively quickly once people start using opioid medications, even if they have a legitimate reason, even if they are experiencing, let's say, pain from a surgery as you did. So the idea of having these widely prescribed um, in some ways sounded like a good idea. And this was very much what happened in the 1990s and in the 2000s is that we had a big campaign to make sure that our patients weren't experiencing pain that could be treated. But I think we went too far and started giving the medications to too many people without realizing that long-term use was going to lead to some of the problems we have today. So yeah, in, on some level, the human brain reacts to these drugs very positively at first, and they provide relief from you know, severe trauma, which in fact, a knee replacement is quite severe in terms of the, the injury that occurs to one. And uh, those medications are very helpful in getting people to recover from a surgery. But long term, they're simply a bad idea. And, uh, you know, I think we, we know better now, but for many decades, these medications were too widely used. And what happens physiologically is you take, you take, you take, and then you take so many, you cease to breathe, correct? Right. So there's a couple things that go on. With opioids, they are subject to this issue of development of tolerance. And what that means is that to get a certain effect from the drug, you need to take more and more of the drug the longer you've been taking a drug chronically. Uh, that also can potentially get to the point where to get the pain relief, one is taking such large amounts that will interfere with other functions, including the, uh, the process of, of having the body continue to take breaths. So the whole issue of what we call respiratory depression is that high doses of opioids are capable of having people stop breathing. And this is, you know, essentially the main mechanism by which people overdose on opioids. That is, they're taking such a large um, dose of opioid that their breathing stops. 
Let me take a break. We'll pick it up here. We come back. I want to talk about the government, what they can do, what they have done. I don't think it's and also too, I guess, doctor. Practically speaking, people go to doctors because they want to feel better and they want to be healed. And the doctors had this tool, so they used it. And then some doctors started overusing it, and then some other things were revealed about it, and they realized that wasn't the right way to go. I'm talking about opioids specifically here. Somebody texted in. They went too far, giving them out in the 90s and the 2000s. Now they're going too far in the other direction. I don't want a DEA agent between the doctor and what he thinks is best for me. You also don't want doctors running pill mills, which, again, I think they pretty well shut that down. Um, so what's the answer? What can the government do? Do you treat this as a medical condition? How do you keep the government out of, um, I hate to say your health care, because the government is involved with health care, but as it relates to strictly uh, law, how do you keep law enforcement? Let me put it that way, between uh, out of the relationship between you and your doctor, but yet protect the patient at the same time. 937, 23 till 10, traffic now on WWL. Uh, 9.42, 18 before 10. Quickly back to Dr. Randall Stafford, professor of medicine and Stanford professor. Uh, doctor, rather, I don't want um, the law enforcement between the doctor and me. I want the government to do something about the opioid uh, abuse problem if they can and, and the deaths due to op- opioid overdoses. It seems like what they tried to do opened the door for fentanyl-laced artificial pills I don't know what the answer is. Do you? I think it's a tough problem. And I do want to make a couple of additional points about what's going on over the last few years. Uh, You know, the problem is much more severe than just the entry of fentanyl into the black market. Uh, What we are seeing more recently are other combinations of drugs in counterfeit pills and in what's called what's being sold as heroin. So, you know, not only do we have fentanyl in those preparations that are people that people are buying on the black market, uh, we have increasing uh, doses of amphetamines showing up in those same, same preparations. And then there's been particular concern about a, a animal tranquilizer called xylazine that is also in uh, preparations. And uh, increasingly, these other drugs are part of the picture which contributes to, uh, to overdose with opioids. So it's not like there's a steady target to focus on. I think what's happening is we have increasing problems with a very complex set of chemicals that people are using um, as uh, as opioids. So we had a professor on a couple of weeks ago from LSU. They've developed a, um, a protocol where opioids wouldn't be needed even after knee replacement surgery, or at least they're in a process of developing it. Um, that's one thing. But the other thing is that people will do things to alter their reality. And I don't mean to call anybody out, but if you drink alcohol, you're altering your reality. You don't have to get blackout drunk, but if you have a drink to relax, you are in effect altering your reality. Are you not doctor? Yeah, you are. And, you know, I think we, we live in a society where these different substances are increasingly acceptable Um, You know, not only alcohol, but also cannabis. Uh, We live in a society that, you know, in a way promotes this type of lifestyle. And it's not such a far stretch to see opioids as part of that general pattern. 
and and even gasoline. People will huff gasoline. They'll huff paint. You know what they do with these aerosol bottles that you use to clean the uh, keyboards of the computers with? They will find a way. So that makes me wonder, can you legislate your way out of this? Can you law enforcement your way out of this? If, if we were to treat this as a medical and not a criminal offense, would the outcome be any different? Well, I think we clearly are very unsuccessful treating uh, drug issues as crimes. And I think a lot can be said for more fully medicalizing the process of treating drug abuse and dealing with the social consequences of drug abuse. Uh, when it comes to what clinicians can do, uh, there are really two prongs that I think are very important. The first is buprenorphine or suboxone, which we were just speaking of. It is a way of allowing people to function uh, despite having a use disorder for opioids. And it does this by uh, preventing the withdrawal from opioids at the same time as it prevents a person from getting high on other opioids. So that's one. Does that drug doctor alter the reality for people? You know, it, it can if used alone, but when it's being substituted for long-term opioid use, people function quite well on Suboxone, again, because it provides a relatively steady state of opioids within the system, neither going up so high as to create euphoria or feeling high, and neither going down too low to start, um, to start withdrawal symptoms. So, you know, there there are, you know, I think people who point out that this is just another opioid, but in some sense, it isn't just another opioid. It's a very special opioid that I think can help a lot of people who are suffering from opioid use disorder. And the second prong was? The second prong is the use of these drugs that are essentially an anti-opioid. So naloxone or Narcan is a very uh, potent drug that essentially blocks these same receptors that the opioids are exciting in the in the brain. And by blocking them, essentially it gets rid of the effect of opioids, even opioids that are circulating in the in in one's bloodstream at the time. So naloxone has been uh, promulgated as a solution. If we can get enough naloxone on the streets in the hands of people who are using opioids, it's essentially an antidote for opioid uh, overdose. Um, and there are a couple other drugs that have similar types of features of being an anti-opioid drug. Um, I think that those are two areas where we ought to focus a lot of attention. Uh, the federal government has made it easier for both of those things to happen, both the use of buprenorphine or suboxone and getting naloxone or Narcan on the streets. Um, but we have a long ways to go. So I don't know if I'm straddling medicine and philosophy here, but I would think since the evolution of mankind, man has found a way to alter their reality. Is that an accurate statement? I think that is an accurate statement. And they will also always do so. 
and we have decided as a society to make alcohol in this country an acceptable way for people to alter their reality. Stop me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think we uh, we largely do that. We, of course, tax alcohol quite heavily and use some of those revenues to um, to mitigate the harms of alcohol. Uh, I think that in many ways we accept alcohol without fully recognizing its harms. Um, and I think in a very similar sense, we allowed opioids to become part of, you know, kind of the daily life of medical practice without necessarily realizing the harms that they have. Uh, we're in a, you know, a, a predicament now that many people who started opioids for pain relief or to get high now are neither getting high nor necessarily getting pain relief. Mm -hmm. They simply have what's called opioid use disorder, which makes them susceptible to withdrawal. That withdrawal symptoms are so severe that people will do almost anything to prevent them. And the, really the only way of preventing opioid withdrawal is to have more opioids in your system. So it seems like if I can have two prongs here, one would be um, that you can either stop people from wanting to alter their reality, would that ever happen, or you find a way for them to safely alter their reality, which I guess we've decided to do uh, with alcohol, although alcohol does have a whole ton of problems in and of itself. I think that's exactly right, and I think it's much more realistic to think along this, the, uh, the second uh, strategy that you propose. Because man's gonna, mankind is gonna find out—not men, but women too—we're gonna find a way to do it, one way or the other. Yes, I believe we will. Thank you, Doctor. I appreciate your time, Doctor Randall Stafford, a professor of medicine at Stanford. Always interesting conversation when we talk to him. And and if you think about it, th that's the way I look at it. Because I baseball is in full swing, NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.